to another great episode of The Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Brian, where they talk bourbon and, of course, drink bourbon. Grab yourself a pour, kick back, and enjoy another trip down the bourbon road. excited to have blandsbourbonshop.com as a new sponsor for the bourbon road podcast in fact this podcast was brought to you by blanton's bourbon shop blantonsbourbonshop.com is the only official merchandiser for blanton's the original single barrel looking for a unique gift blanton's bourbon shop has got you covered blantonsbourbonshop.com is your home for all blanton's gifts The Bourbon Road is excited to have PintsAndBarrels.com as a sponsor of this episode, as well as our official custom apparel provider. Be sure to check out PintsAndBarrels.com and browse their ultimate online store for bourbon lovers. All right, listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Bourbon Road Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Shannon, and today we are on the road. We're actually in Frankfort, Kentucky. We were just here a few weeks ago for Bourbon on the Banks, but we're back once again. We didn't get a chance to stop into where we are today while we were here. They were so busy. Uh, I hated that we had to miss it, but we're in a great place today. We've got a wonderful guest, and we've got a great story for you. And we're going to drink through a number of, uh, let's say, fantastic whiskeys. So got a, got a lot in store for you today. But my guest today is Dave Sandlin. Dave is the founder, proprietor of House of Commons. It's a, it's a bourbon bar in Frankfort, Kentucky, downtown. Corner of St. Clair and Maine. That's correct. Welcome to the Bourbon Road. Thank you so much for having me. It's an You're, honor to be here. Yeah, it, it, it's wonderful to have you. You and I actually spoke at the event two weeks ago. That's correct. And we made a plan that we we're going to get together. And it just so happened that today worked out. I'm here. You're here. We've got bourbon in our hand. I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm very excited. So we're going to get straight to the whiskey, Dave, and then we'll talk a little bit about you and your establishment here. But uh, what what is in our first glass? And why did you choose it? Sounds like a plan, Jim. Uh, so the, the first pour we have is Benchmark Single Barrel. Uh, so this is in the Benchmark Expressions line. Um, the reason I chose this is because this is a, a pour that I love to put in front of our guests. I have a lot of guests that come in and they want to build a flight and, and they're looking to build a flight in that $20 range. And, and with this product coming from Buffalo Trace, I, I love the quality of the product, the taste of the product. It's a, it's a very developed flavor profile. And what I love to tell guests is, all too often in, in the bourbon world, it's we expect trade-offs. You know, it's you can either have a great pour or you can have a good value um, or you can get it. It's available. Um, and, and I love to say that with this product, there are no trade-offs. It's a, it's a great pour at a great value. And in and, and a lot of states, it's available. I can go into my local Kroger store here in, in Frankfurt. Um, over on the west side, over by by the Walmart, and and I can walk in with with that crew, and I know that it's going to be there on the shelf because those guys keep it on the shelf and it's available. 
Um, Buffalo Trace puts out a lot of great juice um, that we don't get to see very often. Very, few, very few of them actually make it to the common folk, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So, and that's part of what I love about this product. It's a ninety-five proof product. It's a single barrel, um, so that you're going to get those nuanced differences from bottle to bottle. Um, I always love to say that single barrel life a lot of times results in studs or duds. Um, it's just part of the game, sure. and, and I I love that I can have those nuances bottle to bottle. Um, but I, I got to tell you, Jim, I've, I've yet to have a bad one. Um, it's, it's been all studs for me so far with, with this line. And, and uh, you know, I tell guests all the time, the expressions line is made up of five different uh, expressions. There's the top floor at 86 proof. Um, and then you've got small batch at 90 proof. You've got the, I'm sorry, the small batch at 90 proof. Then you've got single barrel at 95, bonded at 100, uh, and then you have full proof at 125. Uh, to walk in to the local store and, and grab all five of those for around $130, you've got a built-in flight you can put in front of your friends and, and impress your friends and, and really sip on some great bourbon uh, without breaking the bank. It, yeah. And that's and that's what I, I think is it's all about with some of these products is empowering people getting a product in front of them that is within their, their price range or that they feel good about spending the money on and, and that they enjoy drinking. And, and that's part of the reason why I love this, this product right and here. And this is a rye mash bill. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, what, what, what other whiskeys from Buffalo Trace share this particular mash bill? So if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be the same mash bill as Buffalo Trace itself. Um, is it E.H. Taylor and, and all the rest that are in that, in that mash bill line? Legal rare and yep. right on up the line. Yep. Awesome. You bet. Well, cheers. Cheers. Well, the nose on that was, uh, I would say, very traditional, very, uh, not very ethanol if that's a word, right? We'll make it one. Yeah, it's, it's a word. We'll make it a word. It didn't really singe the nose hairs or anything like that. At 95 proof, you don't often get that, but sometimes with bourbons of uh, a more affordable price range can can attack your nostrils just a little bit, can't they? Absolutely. One of the things I love about this pour is that it's approachable. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it can be enjoyed uh, by someone that, that's very experienced bourbon drinker, but it's also approachable for a novice, um, someone that's just on, I call it onboarding into, right. into bourbon, into the bourbon journey, and 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 so it it is a very approachable nose, but it checks a lot of those boxes of sure. those traditional bourbon scents and tastes. Yeah, it's got plenty of oak character too, so it has spent some time in the barrel. When we we talked. About a little bit about this before the show, and we're not 100% sure of the age on this. But doing a little bit of guesswork, we're probably figuring it's in the, probably around the five-year range. That tastes consistent to me. Yeah. It's a good whiskey. And what, yeah. now, what's the price on this bottle? And I know I, I will reference our local Kroger on the west side sure. a lot because I go to those guys a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's my neighborhood store. Mm -hmm. and And so... They've got this one uh, south of $25. So, you know, store to store, I, I see a few stores do mark it up some. Uh, 
mm-hmm. but I've never seen it over $30, $35. Well, that puts it squarely in the in the range of where you can sip it neat or you can make a cocktail out of it, and you don't feel bad either way, right? Absolutely. It's a, it's a good bourbon. And how much variation have you noticed in the barrels on the single barrel? You said you've never gotten one that you were not pleased with, but is there quite a bit? I don't see a lot of variation, which is interesting um, from a single barrel offering. I, I don't know how they achieve that. You know, Buffalo Trace is incredibly impressive at working with ages and proofs to to develop products that taste vastly different on the same mash bill. Like we sure. were just talking about the raw mash bill. There's so many products on that mash bill that taste night and day different but but it's they're just playing with the proof and age and and so with this one i don't know how they tend to get it so consistent but i do taste a lot of consistency on it whereas like say a blanton's that's a product that i wouldn't say inconsistency but that's a product that i i do have markedly different tastes across bottle to bottle barrel to barrel yeah well fantastic well we'll keep sipping on this i've got i've got some more questions for you um many of our listeners have not been to frankfurt many of them are well they're spread across the country and the world absolutely uh, but they're going to get here sometime they'll eventually get here you know everybody's destined to arrive at buffalo trace at one point in their life i think it's almost like going to mecca i'm not sure but you know (laughs) uh at least at least the bourbon trail absolutely right and um this would be a wonderful stop. So let's tell everybody about you know your establishment here. Absolutely, what it is, where we're sitting today, and why we're why we're drinking bourbon in this beautiful building. Absolutely. So as you said before, we're at the corner of St. Clair and Maine. Um, this corner and really Main Street is such a has been such a fixture of downtown Frankfurt for a long time. And what I love to tell people about Frankfurt is. Everywhere you turn in Frankfurt, there's bourbon history. I love to say Frankfurt has a history of bourbon Um, because uh, you look a block down this way and there's E.H. Taylor's old house. You you go half mile down the road and there's sites where pre-prohibition distilleries were located. You know, barrels were floated down barrels floated down the Kentucky River uh, along these banks that we're sitting right next to right now. There, there is history everywhere you turn in Frankfurt, um, and and so I, I agree. You know, going to Bourbon Disneyland or whatever you want to call it, um, whether it be going to Buffalo Trace. But my hope and my wish is that more people that that make the trip over to Buffalo Trace that they come downtown. Mm-hmm. Yes, please come visit us. We would love to meet you. We'd love to have you come in and enjoy uh, a pour here. Um, but there's so much charm in in this small town, um, and there's so much history here that I want to see more people come visit downtown and, and kind of look around and see. And there, we're not the only one down here offering some great pours, and the only one that have some hard to find pours, and and so. I love for people to come down and see see what downtown Frankfurt has to offer. Um, but I I do believe that it that there is a untold story for people about Frankfurt. They think of Frankfurt and they think of Buffalo Trace. 
um, they a lot of times don't think about the distilleries of yesteryear um, that that started here that were thriving here 30 years ago. Um, and it's not that hard to come down to Frankfurt and kick around a little bit and you'll, you'll find some of the history. Yeah. And you know, it's there, there are two types of people that know that Frankfurt is the capital of Kentucky. That's Kentucky people, people mm-hmm. who live here and elementary school children who learn it <laughs> when they have to learn the state maps. Right. 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 But they soon forget that. And everybody thinks it's, it's Louisville or Lexington right. is the capital, which in fact, it's not, we're sitting in the state capital right now. That's right. And the capital house is a few blocks from here. Not very far. That's right. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I noticed about Frankfurt is that the the city um, embraces bourbon, celebrates bourbon. Yes. Uh, the way they come out in support of, like that event we had a couple of weeks ago, Bourbon on the Banks, just shows me that the the city is fully invested in the future of bourbon as part of the city and, uh, you know, part of their people and what they do, and they embrace it. Uh, you know, there are other places that try to not embrace it, let's just say, because of, you know, conflicts or beliefs or other than that, but Frankfurt fully embraces the bourbon industry. So when you come here, you see it in the restaurants, you see it in the cafes, the bars, you see it in Airbnbs. You, you rent an Airbnb here, you're probably going to have something hanging on the wall in there that's bourbon related. And all the shops are filled with wonderful things. This this town is a place to spend a weekend and enjoy all, the, all it has to offer, not just uh, popping in to go to one distillery. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, you touched on something, Jim, that I love is that um, I think I, I do agree with you that that Frankfurt embraces that. Um, but I believe that that Frankfurt being seen as a tourism destination, a place to, to stay, to go, that's fairly new. Yeah. And, you know, we have uh, accommodations that are attached to to the House of Commons in the same building that are just absolutely stunning accommodations. Um, and, and there's a, you know, there's a one bedroom on the back end. There's a five bedroom unit and a six bedroom unit that are just unreal, beautiful places that are super, super conducive to groups coming through. They're connected to our bar here. And they're in a beautiful location, downtown Frankfurt. And not only do we have that here, but there are other accommodations that are popping up downtown. So I really feel like there's this this wave of change coming to downtown Frankfurt that it's going to make it more accessible for individuals to come and stay in in downtown Frankfurt and discover what, what Frankfurt has to offer and it's just becoming easier and easier for people to do that, which I love. Yeah. And B&Bs have become the rage here, right? I mean, absolutely. They have, I think that's part of the reason Frankfurt has converted and become more uh, tourist friendly in the last few years is because of the accommodations in downtown, right? I mean, you've always had uh, hotels out by the interstate. You've got a very nice hotel in downtown here, mm-hmm. but having all these additional Airbnbs for it really makes a big difference. It absolutely. Really well, I really enjoyed that benchmark, but I know we got something else coming up here. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. And I got a few more questions for you, too, but let's let's get this next class. All right. Sounds great. So, Dave, what do we have in our second class here? So this is a special one, Jim. This yeah. is a 2011 Weller Antique 107. This one has a little bit of a story to it. Okay. Um, part of the reason why I chose this one and part of the reason why... 
Uh, I choose this for guests that come in seeking a contemporary, more contemporary bottle. Um, and, but one, one with a story is there was a local uh, couple, Pam and Omar Marshall, that are big bourbon enthusiasts. Um, they're staples in the local bourbon community. Uh, Pam's on the Frankfurt Bourbon Society board. She's a regular here at the House of Commons. She, we love Pam, and she means a ton to us. Um, and they have been a fixture in our bourbon community. Um, Omar was a collector, and and they uh, have sought out bottles over the years, and like many of us do. Um, and became very well known in in the local bourbon scene um, to the point that when Omar would go do a pick with some bourbon groups that he he was in, other bourbon groups would want to invite him along because they knew if if Omar was on the pick um, that they were going to get a good one. Sure, um, he grew up with with local legends and well, I guess not local legends, <laughs> national bourbon legends like Eddie Russell. Um, and he was just super connected and, and very well known and very highly regarded and, um, very well respected in the community. But unfortunately, uh, Omar passed away three years ago from cancer. Um, so as a, as a newcomer to the Frankfurt community, I, I, my wife and I just moved here a little over two years ago, um, getting into the bourbon scene locally, I kept hearing about Omar, 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 Omar. And, and when I finally had the opportunity to meet Pam, I approached her and I said, hey, um, I hear about Omar a lot. Sounds like he was a really great individual and, and I would love the opportunity to one day purchase a bottle that, that belonged to you and Omar's you know, collection that you all had acquired. And, and she said, well, you know, I do have this, this one bottle that that I'd be willing to sell. And, and so um, I was ecstatic at the opportunity. You know, I, I, I told Pam, I said, you know, I, it means more to me to be able to tell the story uh, of her and Omar and, and the fact of what they mean to this local bourbon community, um, which, you know, it's a great port to begin with. Having, having the ability to tell a story of, of a local legend is, is even better. Sure. Um, and, and it's just to me, it, it's a reminder that the life's short and, and we, we should enjoy what we drink and who we drink it with. Um, and so I wanted to pick this one um, because I, one thing that I think a lot about when I think of bourbon is, is the community and, and who we share our pores with. And, and so um, from a local legend to um, to, to new friends and new community in, in the bourbon, uh, in the bourbon world, I felt like it was a good reminder. What a great story. What a great story. Raise a glass to Omar and Pam. To Omar and Pam. Well, that has a richness that is not like today's 107. Yeah, it's different for sure. Not as much of that cherry sweetness as you'll get out of a bottle today. A little bit more um, old, silky, 
Mm-hmm. It does have that kind of little bit of a dusty note to it. You know, you know, you get a little bit of that. I'm not sure if that is just a just the slightest amount of exposure to sunlight or air or something. This was a sealed bottle when you got it. I, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people about that, and and I know the the storage of this bottle and and how this one um, had been cared for over the years. Because you do always run that risk with dusties. Mm-hmm. Was there sunlight? Was there was it temperature changes? I happen to know how this one was stored. I wonder how much of that a lot, and I, and I question this a lot of times, is this wasn't that long ago, but we all know that the the bourbon boom has impacted a lot of things in production. Sure. And so I, I question a lot of times what in the manufacturing of the product, because that's ultimately what it is, a manufactured product, what in the manufacturing of that product was done differently 12, 13 years ago than than what's done today but you're you're right there is a there's a little bit more of a i call it the genesis qua there's just something, something there there's something like there that. it's hard to put your finger on but i also agree with you it doesn't smack you in the face yeah as much as it is a little more subtle and it kind of slides in on that cherry note um and it has such a pleasant linger it's really good and uh, I don't know. Was it also a seven-year-old bourbon back then? It's this is not it very well could have been. Yeah. But this is not in the age-stated era of seven years. That would have been in the squat bottle, right? Um, which was the predecessor to this one. Okay. So what would this have been? It was non-age-stated at the time. Yeah. So, you know, we. I really lean toward bottles that are prior to bourbon boom that the chances of them being aged longer than stated or mm-hmm. if they're not stated that there's a good chance that they had more age on them than what we would have expected sure. um but we also know this is the era in which when they came out with this bottle they they didn't have the age statement on it so it's hard to know did they remove that age statement because they were looking to get closer to the six-year mark and i, I know that Buffalo Trace a lot of times targets an uh, age profile. So we know that a lot of, they use a lot of heat cycled rick houses um, that can produce a taste profile that is more developed than say counterparts stored in metal clad rick houses without heat. Um, because you, you're capitalizing on three months out of the year that you would have lost you didn't have that heat cycle. Sure. So that plays a factor as well. So what's your general opinion on this? Do you feel like this is a superior pour to what you might buy today? I really struggle with better, superior, um, best. Those words, I, I feel like all too often put us in, in ranking categories. And I know that's a mm-hmm. huge, uh, that's a major, <laughs> that's a major marketing uh, technique for a lot of people in the bourbon industry. I just think we reduce things to value mm-hmm. and and rank all too often. Um, when people come in and they say, "Which is better? Which is the best?" It's I, I don't I don't like using that verbiage because all bourbons bring something to the table. You know. So, so if one of our listeners has uh, a neighbor, let's say, who has a bottle of this unopened, who's not a, a bourbon person, just got it from his father or something. Mm-hmm. Would you say approach it and buy it? Or would you say, um, 
Is it an experience that you would suggest? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. If they have multiple buy as many as you can. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to agree with you. I, yeah. It's hard sometimes to rank things, especially when you're not sipping on them side by side. Absolutely. But um, anytime you can get yourself on a, pe- a little piece of history and try it, it's always good. Absolutely. And now one word that I do or one verbiage that I do kind of lean toward, Jim, is I will say, okay, you put this up and you put a contemporary example of this of this product up side by side and you ask me, you can only get one. Which one are you going to grab? I'm going to go for this sure. one. I mean, because the reality is, while I believe all bourbons bring something to the table, this is one that I'm going to reach for more often. It's not to say that I won't reach for the contemporary one if this one's available. Yeah. But this is the one that I'm going to probably reach for more often. Um, just because I believe it's it's more full-bodied. It's a little more well-rounded. There's a little more, little bit more complexity going on um, than the contemporary example. And again, I attribute a lot of that to how things were made 12 years ago. Sure. Processes do change. Sometimes Absolutely. even accountants get involved a little bit, right? Sometimes they do. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, that you were originally from Tennessee. How did you find your way to Frankfurt? Great question, Jim. So I, I am originally from East Tennessee. I grew up about 45 minutes from the Smoky Mountains, about 25 minutes from Knoxville, a town called Maryville. Um, if you're from Kentucky, chances are you have been to Gatlinburg uh, multiple times because uh, I, I saw all of, all of your license plates in the parking lots growing up when I would go to the mountains. Um, you've probably driven through Maryville. But I had the great privilege of uh, after finishing college of settling back into the town that I grew up in and I found myself working at a luxury resort called Blackberry Farm. Um, and, and while I had a back of house position at this luxury resort, they, they do such a phenomenal job there of uh, creating such a culture of hospitality. That, that I just fell in love with with what they had to offer and the culture that they provided for team and for guests. And and so I had the privilege of working there for almost eight years. Um, bef- and while, let me, let me just say real quick, while you're there, um, they had, or at least while I was there, they had these great amenities. And so guests or team members could dine where guests dine you know, once a quarter at a, at a reduced rate. And so it was Fantastic. like, that was a perk of, of working there. So I would go in and, and I would eat phenomenal food and see an amazing wine selection. And what happens when you have such an amazing wine selection, you, you have a really impressive bourbon selection as well. And, and so I would look at these bourbon selections and I would, I was practicing, you know, years ago, looking at the sommelier and I would say, what would you recommend? Mm-hmm. What would you recommend? And, and they would tell me these stories. And, and this is where I was really first introduced to, to premium bourbons and things that weren't on the shelf everywhere I went. And, and I really kind of fell in love with that, that idea. Um, and then a little over two years ago, uh, my best friend, um, he, who's also a Shelbyville native, uh, Forrest Coleman. Go Shelbyville. Go Shelbyville. I'm, I'm a big fan of Shelbyville. Yeah. Um, he and his wife, Emily, 
uh, they, they called me and my wife, Sally, and said, hey, we just want you all to know we're moving from Charleston, South Carolina. We're going to plant a church plant in Frankfort, Kentucky. And uh, we, we said, all right, which we were ecstatic because they were going to be a little closer to us. Um, but there was something that my wife and I said, we, we need to pray about this. Um, and, and we were praying about overseas missions at the time. And, and uh, so we prayed about it and we called them up shortly thereafter and said, hey, we're praying about coming. And they, and they looked at us and they said, don't you play with me. <laughs> they said, don't you play with me. And, and we prayed about it. And, and we really felt like God was saying, I, I want you to go be a part of this. Go, go help this get off the ground. And, and so uh, we did. I put in my two months notice with Blackberry Farm, uh, a company that I thought I would work for the rest of my life that I dearly love and, and to this day keep in contact with people there. Um, we, we packed up our two girls. I have uh, five and seven-year-old girls. And uh, we left my family, uh, who we dearly love, that are all back in Tennessee. And, and we moved to Frankfurt, knowing two people. Um, now, the story really got interesting as far as where we are today um, when we moved to Frankfurt. Um, I, I tell people all the time, it's, people ask me, where did you learn your knowledge of bourbon? And most of it was self-taught. Mm -hmm. I, I got to tell you, Jim, I, I would go in the store on my lunch break and I would, I would study bottles. I would look, is there an H salmon? Is there not an H salmon? Is there a mash bill or is there not a mash bill? What distillery does it say produce the product? Where is it coming from? What's the price point? And then I really familiarize myself with who's producing what and where and, and, and how are they doing it? And, and so I was in, in East Tennessee um, we were one income. It was really important to me and my wife that, that she stay home with our girls. And mm -hmm. so we're one income in Midwork. And so I didn't have the bourbon collection that I have at home today. I had not anywhere. It was a drop in the bucket to what we have here at the house of commons. Um, but you know, it is, I had a bottle of Evan Williams, um, bottle and bond hundred proof. I kept it in the cabinet. That was the only bourbon that I kept in the cabinet. Um, good choice though it, it was that's great, the one in your pantry that's a good one to choose right. you know had I known what I know today it probably would have been benchmark single barrel yeah <laughs> but, but at that time it was Evan Williams bottle and bond it was it was a great pour for the, and a great value mm -hmm. um, and and it was something that I felt really confident having and and that's what I poured because we were we were income. and sure. then when we would go to Blackberry I would get nicer pours we went out on a nice dinner i would try new things and i kept this log of things that i liked and didn't like and i encourage people to do that all the time like go try things mark down what you like and don't like and you'd be surprised about what you can learn about yourself and what you like in, in bourbon because it's your bourbon it's your money you you drink what you like and drink it the way you like absolutely um firm believer in that i'm a firm believer in that and and so here we are, we, we are leaving East Tennessee where I've got one bottle in my cabinet because we're fixed income. And we, we moved to Kentucky and, and we were very blessed to find a, an amazing home in Kentucky. And when we move up here, my wife for my first birthday, she buys me all five bottles that are on the allocation list at, uh, 
Buffalo Trace. Wow. For my birthday. What a, what a birthday present, wow. right? Yeah. All, all five bottles that they put out. And uh, my parents come up. And, uh, you know, I was raised in, in a church environment where they did not consume alcohol. Okay. My parents come up. Further south you go, more. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, and, and so um, here we are. Uh, I've got five bottles. The bottles don't fit in the cabin anymore, Jim. Mm-hmm. They, they don't. So mom and dad come up. They, they get up here and they say, mom's like, oh, you're a bourbon drinker. I'm 32 years old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At this point, I'm 32 years old. And mom says, hey, oh, you're a bourbon drinker. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I am. And she's like, I didn't know that. And, of course, I had been bourbon drinker for years and years yeah. mom and dad just didn't know they didn't have the need to know they didn't have the need to know right that's, right. that's the thing yeah. parents they didn't need to know um but it's it's upon that time that mom learns that that she decides to tell me she says well it makes sense you got bourbon in your blood that's a really weird thing to say mom what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> and uh is she and then she then went on to explain to me that my great-grandmother uh, Martha Thomas Tandy on September 26th of 1901 was born at the OFC distillery. Wow. And, and I said, why have you never told me this? She said, I didn't think you needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> now, now the, now the tables have turned, right? Yeah. Um, she said, I didn't think you needed to know. Um, so, you know, it, it was upon that, that it kind of set off this, this passion. Like I was already into bourbon. I was mm. already really interested in what, different distilleries had to offer and and, and different bourbons were out there. Uh, It really ignited this passion for bourbon history. Um, And then there were just so many things that, that fell into place that we learned as time went on that, that were connections to bourbon history. And this is a little bit of foreshadowing that we'll talk about a little later. Um, But there were so many things that, that I had learned that there were connections because my mom grew up in Frankfurt. Yeah. Um, even though I spent my entire life in East Tennessee, that were connections to bourbon history. And Frankfurt, I feel like, is super conducive to that. And and that's why I say in Frankfurt, you learn that there's bourbon history everywhere you go. Absolutely. All right, well, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue this story. I want to know how it went from that to this. We got two more whiskeys to try. Oh, right. I can't wait. Yes. Awesome. We'll be right back, folks. gift Blanton's bourbon shop has got you covered all of their handcrafted wood products are made in their in-house wood shop with authentic bourbon barrels specializing in barrel aged potent treats they use Blanton's barrels to age their own maple syrup honey and coffee find the most unique gift ideas for your golf lover cigar connoisseur avid coffee drinker and Blanton's fan want to win an authentic Blanton's barrel head Make sure you sign up for the giveaway on the homepage of their website. Blantonsbourbonshop.com is your home for all Blanton's gifts. 
If you're a bourbon drinker, and I bet you are if you're listening to this podcast, you need to head over to pintsandbarrels.com and check out the ultimate online store for bourbon lovers. Pints and Barrels Company was started by bourbon lovers for bourbon lovers. From spices to t-shirts, you'll find the perfect bourbon gift. Pints and Barrels proudly supports the bourbon road and invites you to visit pintsandbarrels.com. Do you need a custom apparel or swag for your bar, distillery, maybe even your bourbon society? They can do that too. As a matter of fact, they print our apparel. We're so happy with the quality and fast turnaround. Pintsandbarrels.com, the ultimate bourbon lovers gift shop and branding specialist. So we are back, and uh, during the break, we were able to finish off that wonderful 2011 Weller 107. A little bit of a dusty bottle there. A little bit of dust gathers in 13 years, I'm sure. Yeah. So what do we have in our glass this time? So this is a uh, single barrel rye release from Luca Mariano. It's called Gianna Loren. In bourbon and rye game. You're kind of new to the game if you've been operating for less than 10 years. And this is kind of a, a newcomer or freshman class, if you will, of, of our local uh, bourbon scene here in Kentucky. And um, this is, I got to tell you, Jim, this is a rye that, that uh, my team and I have been very impressed with. Um, I, I'm just going to shoot you straight Luca's a product that I slept on for a long time yeah I, I really in, in no slight against the the guys out there that are sourcing um but I you know I have known that I was going to do this for the last year and a half and, and the the scope of bourbon and rye is so broad that I was really trying to focus on guys that were making product in Kentucky because that's what I want to represent was Kentucky bourbon. Sure. And, and I slept on Luca for far too long, um, even though I knew it was good product and I heard tons of great product because I didn't think that they were making their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to tell you um, that they are building their own distillery in Danville, um, that they started with Rick Houses first so that they could work on uh, distillate with a local distiller and fill those rick houses with that that distillate to age so we've got a brand that the distillery is now producing their own distillate um but they have a six-year product so this is six year and they've got some seven-year product as well um, but this one in particular is a six-year 97 proof uh single barrel rye it's named gianna loren um, because it's named after the owner, his daughter. So Francisco Viola's daughter, Gianna Loren, um, which as a father, you know, kind of resonates. Father of sure. girls, it resonates with me. Um, but it's a, a 56 rye, 33 corn, 11 malted barley mash bill. Um, it's something that... Well, it's a Kentucky rye. It's a Kentucky rye. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lower raw content on that mash bill. But I'm just super impressed with the, the balance that it puts out. 
Um, you know, I look for all things. I, I try to have different products on the shelf that are stand out. I, I don't want two bottles that taste the same in here. So this is one when we are walking through the experience with our guests and we ask them what they like and they say, I like rye. This is one that all too often, uh, unfortunately, people are not familiar with. Mm -hmm. And we're glad to introduce them to Gianna Loren um, because it, it's one that it's not it's it's not too overly expensive where it's available it's available consistently um and it's just a really impressive product yeah well cheers cheers oh it has a nice sweet nut you, you think this is six or seven years old absolutely yeah 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 it's starting to get that candy sweet nose on it but it does have a, a nice uh, caramel waft to it. Absolutely. Oh, that is wonderful. That's a that's a bourbon drinker's rye, no doubt. And that's not 100%. finished. That's just a single barrel, right? Right. Yeah, that's really good. There is no finish on this one. Single barrel rye, yeah. ninety-seven proof. That that's the other thing. That's wonderful. It's high enough on the proof. Um, it's low enough on the proof that I feel like it really opens up. It's not screaming down your throat. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love some barrel strength rise, but this is one that I could drink more than a half ounce of there. There's some out there that I drink and it's, it's just palate, it's palate fatigue mm -hmm. once you get an ounce and a half in. Um, but it's complex enough that I can pick apart different flavors. Um, but it's drinkable enough that, that I don't have to stop at one yeah. and a half ounces. It is so good. So this, this is, it, it's funny cause it's got that rye muffin, just a little bit of rye muffin to it, that bready rye muffin. And then you get, it's like it's drizzled caramel over it. And then a little bit of nuttiness from that extra little extra amount of uh, malted barley. Kind of a, it's almost like a rye muffin with caramel and, and, and chop pecans. It's really Absolutely. Good. Yeah, it really is. And one thing that I love too, is there's, there's just enough of that corn sweetness that, that shines through. Yeah. Um, you, you can pick up on some of those traditional rye flavors, but it, it's not too overpowering. Um, and I don't know if you get this, but something I love when I drink a rye and I get this, there's a little bit of the dance on the tip of the tongue. Yeah. Um, but then it also kind of, Drips from the sides. Drips from the sides. Wraps yeah. around your tongue, and and I love. I just think it creates such a pleasant experience without drying out my mouth. Yeah. So rice, good rice, can tend to get that way right before they turn candy orange sweet. You know, they mm -hmm. just get that wonderful. It triggers something in your palate that causes the. It just drips off the side of your tongue like it's yeah. amazing. This is really good dry whiskey. I like it a lot. I love this. Product. This is definitely if you're a if you're a uh, a high end bourbon drinker, and you haven't quite ha found the rye you like yet. You know, maybe they're they're too uh, spicy for you. Maybe they're too much, uh, you know, cedar or um, clove or whatever whatever it might be. You mm -hmm. want something that's a little more bourbon like. This is it. This is really good. And look, Mariano has been in Danville now since they started. At least the the production operation, right? That's correct. 
So they partnered with somebody very early on, and they've got some of those older barrels now that are just performing for them. And they made they made a great partnership in the beginning. Absolutely, they did. And you know, the thing that I love is that. And again, this isn't a slight toward any of the guys that that are doing this. You got to choose your own path. Mm -hmm. It's your own business model, and you got to choose your own path to put product out there. Um, But in a world where so many choose to put out clear spirits in order to pay the bills until they can put the product down or they're sourcing barrels from other individuals and, and they almost build a brand with the name that isn't consistent. Yeah. Again, not a qualm, but as a, as a consumer, uh, I, I associate the quality of the product with the name as a consumer. I don't want a brand to be flippant with their name where mm-hmm. they're throwing a 13 year product at me that they source from someone with a completely different mash bill. And then, Tomorrow, they're putting out their own product that's four year that's going to be markedly different. Um, they didn't do that. They they developed. This was a story in contract distilling. Yes. So yeah. this is this is the thing that's interesting about their story is they worked with a with a distillery that was established, produced a product on an eighteen inch column still had the product stored at their facility in their rick houses. And then as they were building their distillery, what did they do? They built a distillery with an 18 inch column still that is going to produce, you know, as consistent as possible of a product as, as what they were producing before. And then those, those barrels went to the same rick houses that the ones prior to. And the original supplier are consulting with them to help them produce right. the same mash bill. Exactly. And and so that to me, it, it's not, again, we're not trying to throw shade on anybody or talk about anyone. Oh, they did it better or this person did it best. But I just think it's a very intentional approach. They yeah. focused on the bourbon. I, don't get me wrong. I love clear spirits as much as the next guy. But I just think that there's something very remarkable about their intentionality to how they produce this product. And I think it shows in the product that that's in the glass right now. Absolutely. Well, let me, let me have you continue your story. Uh, In the, in the last half, you had moved North out of East Tennessee into Kentucky, settled here in the Frankfurt area. And uh, you kind of left it at that. You you come up with some friends who were planning a church up here. That's correct. How did you get from there to here? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, moving up here to a place we did not know, and and only having known two people, I was looking for a soft place to land. And, and man, did I find a, a great position. Um, I was working in a in a tile factory over in Lawrenceburg and um, it was a great job, worked with some great people. Um, and I had, I ended up working there just over two years um, before we were able to get this project up off the ground. But about six months in to working there and living here in Frankfurt, one of uh, our friends at church, I found out that his uncle had acquired a building here in downtown Frankfurt. And, and that he had this vision for a bourbon bar um, that was right next to the post, this this famous post here in downtown Frankfurt that has all the bourbon distilleries listed and, and the distance and, and direction in which they are to this spot downtown. 
um, he saw that was inspired and he said, there needs to be a bourbon bar on this corner. Um, and then he wanted to have Airbnbs that the, the bourbon bar could service on, on the top floors of, of the building. Um, so when I learned this from my friend, I said, Hey man, so Jordan, I got to meet your uncle. And, and I said, I, I want to cheer him on because I'm a big bourbon enthusiast. Um, and Frankfurt needs this. I was like, Frankfurt has so much potential. We've got some great spots already, but there we have so much potential for people to see the Frankfurt as a destination. And, and so I said, I got to meet him just if nothing else to cheer him on. So I, I met Ben, uh, Ben Harden is his name. Uh, he's a Shelbyville native. Go Shelbyville. Go Shelbyville. Um, and I met Ben and I said, hey, Ben, I started in on us. I, I just, I want to cheer you on. I, like, I want to be involved. If nothing else to cheer you on. It, anything I can do to help, um, please let me know. I, I want to be in your corner because Frankfurt needs this. And he says, well, this is what I'm thinking. He gives me all these ideas and what he's looking to do. And he's like, and I'm looking for somebody to run the bar. I was like, oh, like I'm like a manager. He's like, no, I'm looking for a business owner to run this bar. And I was like, oh, that escalated quickly. <laughs> um, but, you know, we we talked and my wife and I, we said, yeah, this this makes sense. This is something I've been wanting to get back into the hospitality industry. And Ben seems like a, a great fit. I trust his vision and I knew his work in Shelbyville and the Hardens just have an impeccable offer design and ability to create beautiful spaces. And so they really, they, they created a space that was super conducive um, to creating quality guest experiences. And, and so it was a no brainer. Yeah. Um, and here we are um, a little over a year and a half later, where we're sitting in the house of commons that, that he had this vision for years ago, prior to COVID when they bought this building and, and it, it just feels surreal. It's like sometimes, you know, just, just pinch me um, because it's like the fact that I get to interact with guests on a daily basis in the space and, Fantastic. and create bourbon experiences that people will look back on for some a lifetime. Yeah. And, and that's what that's what it's all about for us. Yeah. Well, great job. This is a beautiful place. It has that right feel. It has that sort of a. Gatsby look to it just a little bit, you know, that, that it's a little bit of a throwback mm -hmm. to, to the days of the, what the twenties, but um, it's also modern as well. So it's got kind of yeah. a, a hint of the past, but it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. Thank what you. an amazing space. Thank you very much. All right. So let's move on to our next whiskey here. I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh my goodness! This is a this is a real treat, Dave. It's a, it's an honor to have this in my glass and to try something I've never had before. Yeah, this one's pretty special, Jim. Um, so uh, I got to tell you, there's another story. I told you a story about how my great grandmother was born at OFC. Um, there's these things that just kind of heaven just kind of enveloped this time has gone on. Um, there, there was a house that my wife and I were looking at in December of 2021. We loved the house. We knew it was old, but we didn't know anything about it. 
Um, and, and so we bought this house um, and we, we learned a year ago that this house was actually built in 1888. We thought maybe early 1900s, but we learned that our house was built in 1888. Fantastic. And that it was built for a master distiller uh, at the Hermitage Distillery. Oh my goodness. Which was a distillery that was built in late mid to late 1800s. Um, E.H. Heller was at the helm of helping with building of that distillery. Um, which is ironic because he started OFC where my great grandmother was born. Um, and it would have been catty corner to the house that we live in that this gentleman had this house commission to be built, lived in it for 20 years or so. And, and when I learned this, Jim, I was just elated. I was wow. like, you gotta be kidding me. We live in an old master stiller's house. Are you kidding me? And, and so then I was like, there's not anything else I could possibly learn about my history that could could top this. I got a great grandmother that was born at OFC Distillery. We live in a master distiller's house from late 1800s. Um, just before I opened this project, or just before we opened, I found a glass whiskey stopper in my yard. Oh no! Yeah. How about that? Yeah. It was it was glass and it wasn't the typical Bud Light bottle glass that sure. I find in my yard. <laughs> it was it was an actual whiskey stopper, quite possibly get pre pre prohibition sure. and, and be from a Hermitage bottle. And I was like, man, I'm just over the moon. So I'm showing this in the birth the copy of the birth certificate that my great uncle Jack um, had sent me. I'm showing him these things when he's in here in the bar, and then he's 92 by the way. And, and I'm showing him this, I'm like, Grand Uncle Jack, like you sent me this birth certificate two years ago. And I show this to people all the time, talk about bourbon history and how it's just a fabric of, of the way of life here. Um, and I was like, I, I think you might find this interesting too. So I would climb up the ladder here, grab this bottle, 1957, James Pepper bottled in bond, six year age dated product, pull it down. I show it to him and he's like studying this bottle. I'm like, what's he thinking? What's he thinking? He said, my grandfather worked here. I was like, what? He's like, my grandfather worked here. I was like, at, at Pepper in Lexington? He said, yeah. I said, when was this? And he was like, early 1900s. He was a night watchman. He worked there for a long time. Um, so, you know, one, this bottle is very rare. From 57, it's bottled 10 years before Shinley closed the distillery um, and, and transferred the remaining barrels over to George C. Stagg. Um, it, it's a six-year age state of product, bottled in bond from the 50s. Um, but it has so much significance. I talk about stories and, and personal significance. It has so much significance to me because, again, it's that tie back to I've got – blood in the, in this warehouse. I've got a great, great grandfather that worked at this warehouse over a hundred years ago. Fantastic. And, and so that's just, it's really significant to me. There's memories, there's memories that we're making and there's memories that we can recollect on when, when we share bourbon and community. Um, and, and I highly suggest we do both and often, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, um, this one is just outside of the story. You know, the bourbon itself speaks for itself. When people come into me and they say, hey, what's the best thing you have? Or what's, again, I don't use the word best, but 
this is one of the rarest opportunities I can provide for people to taste something that's exceptional. And, and this is one that I go to when, when people do have that question, that's what they're looking for. Well, I'm honored that you poured it for me today. Glad to do so, Jim. Awesome. Shall we? We shall. Cheers. Cheers. Oh my goodness. That has a wonderful nose on it. Just an amazing nose. Yeah. You know, when we, when we talk about dusty bottles, this is what I think of. This is kind of the epitome of what I think of when there's that funk and, and there's this crazy caramel nose. It's, mm-hmm. it's like true caramel candy nose, not where there's caramels, but like soft caramel nose on it. Um, that just melds beautifully with this funk and and that funk is what i love that's a characteristic that i love in dusty bottles um i, I tell people all the time we want that funk we love the funk yeah gotta have the funk you gotta know? have the funk gotta what have is it. the funk we don't know what it is but it's there <laughs> I, it's consistent with older bottles and you know maybe it's that it's been bottled up for so long i don't know um but we don't know but we know i know that i love it that is really really delicious that is so good. It's got a nice spicy note to it, but it's just a deep, rich caramel. What was the proof? 100 proof. Bottle and bond. 100 proof. Mm-mm. Six-year bottle and bond. It's not one of the most viscous bourbons. I tend to lean toward bourbons with a lot of viscosity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flavor... There's just so much there. Yeah. That again, it's all subtle hints. If you haven't noticed, I like, I really gravitate toward bourbons and rice that have complexity and subtleness. Um, I'm a firm believer that anyone can go find something that's going to scream flavor at you. Um, I really like these that, that I have to work to unpack them. Yeah. I haven't had a dusty that is this with this profile exactly this profile this is very it's its own pour and you know i've had a number of you know some of the older old charters some old crows i've had some eh taylors from back in the 40s and and the good bottles are wonderful but this is so well balanced so rounded it's really good you're right the texture it's a little on the thin side Mm mm-hmm but it's got a great caramel to it. Just a really wonderful caramel to it. Almost a butterscotch. I would even argue that it, it goes from caramel to butterscotch. Yeah. I get both of those in this yeah. one. Um, Absolutely. And that lingering spice is just. It's good. I'd love to run across one of these someday. Well, folks, if you're in, you're in Frankfurt, uh, I definitely recommend you stop in here. And if it's within your means, have a pour of this uh, James E. Pepper bottled and bond from 1957, six-year bottle and bond. It's absolutely delightful. It's really good. If they're looking for a dusty, because they're not all what you hope, right? That's right. Yeah, you know, it's just because it old, it's old doesn't mean it's better. Yeah. Um, now, I will say the caveat to that, Jim, is that I have had several Dusties that I have I have walked away saying, I prefer, I would reach to that Dusty versus the contemporary example. Yeah. 
Uh, case in point, we have a 1980 Kentucky gentleman. Um, Good stuff. It's, it's, well, it's, um, I prefer it over the contemporary example. Yeah. Well, it's different, you know? Yeah, sure. It's different. And, and that's just, that's the whole thing. That's kind of my whole analogy and, and kind of vision behind things is like, regardless of price point, I want people to come in and see that they have the opportunity to taste things that are new or interesting or different. Um, and, and that's one that I really love. Somebody's like, Hey, I'd love to have a dusty and try it next to a contemporary example, but I'm looking for something in the price point of $15 or less. I'm sure you don't have anything. I'm like, actually, <laughs> actually we do. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, and it's a lot of fun cause it's, it's very approachable. You yeah. know, it's, 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 is it going to knock your socks off? Chances are no, but it's something that's a lot of fun to do. Right. Well, David, I want to thank you. Did I say David? Is it David I go sometimes? By both. Yeah. I go by both. I want to thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your whiskey with me. It's been a great opportunity for me to sit down with you and, and pick your brain about your whiskeys and sort of hear the story behind the House of Commons and your journey that got you here. Uh, it's, I think this is a place that I will frequent when I'm in Frankfurt. I'm looking forward to the next time I have an opportunity to bring my wife in here. I think she'll really enjoy it. I highly recommend to our listeners that if you're in the Frankfurt area, or heck, if you're in the Louisville area or the Lexington area, find your way to Frankfurt and visit uh, visit the House of Commons. Meet Dave and have him pour you something he wants to introduce you to. Because that's a great way to try whiskey by someone else's recommendations. Don't you think? I do. I do. Uh, you know, I, we call ourselves a bourbon library. Um, and and so our whole mentality is, is you go to a, a, a library of books, you go to the librarian to ask for recommendations. Sure. We call our team bourbon librarians. And we would love, we would be honored to make recommendations. Oh, fantastic. Well, how can our listeners find you on the internet, on social media? We've already told them where your where your shop is located here, but how do they find you online? Absolutely great question. We do have a website. It's hocbourbonlibrary.com. They can find us on Facebook at HOC colon a bourbon library. And they can find us on Instagram at the underscore bourbon underscore library. Okay, fantastic. So you're on all those things. And uh, do you have like a, a newsletter that comes out once in a while? Or once they come in here, they just won't forget you, right? Well, that's what we hope, that yeah. no one forgets us. But uh, we are active in our social media. Facebook and Instagram are, are probably the best way to to keep up with us. Um, and, and, you know, we are, those are means that we look to communicate to our guests what's coming up. Well, fantastic. Thank you once again. I really appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you, Jim. Well, you can find The Bourbon Road on all social media outlets. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Threads. Oh, there's probably others. I'm forgetting them all, but we're out, we're everywhere. You can find our website at thebourbonroad.com. We also ask you to check out our Facebook, private Facebook group, The Bourbon Roadies. That's where our 3,200 members like to hang out, uh, chit-chat, and share stories. and They even share whiskey sometimes. No selling it. You got to give it away. That's right. But uh, we'd love to have you come in and join our family and and uh, and talk bourbon with us. You can also, uh, as you're listening to our show, if you've got an idea for a show of your own, and maybe somebody in your town has, uh, has is doing it right, a little distillery in your neck of the woods that 
has impressed you and you want us to know about it, hop onto our website, go to the contact us page, send us a quick note. We will reach out to them. We'll uh, we'll talk them into sending us a bottle. We'll give it a review. We might even have them on the show sometime. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We do this every single week on Wednesday. We'll have a guest on. Sometimes it's a music artist or an author. Uh, sometimes it's just Brian and I chit-chatting and drinking through a few whiskeys. But it's always fun. We hope you'll join us every single week. But until then, we'll see you down the Bourbon Road. Bourbon Road.